and we're always trying to improve things. And this thing is going to be a huge question because selecting a hundred companies and cutting that in half down to 50, it's, it's sad. We don't have more resources to be able to offer it for a longer period of time, but we don't really want to make founders jump through hoops. We don't want to be another thing where they have to kind of move their business in a direction that we say is the best. And we hope that kind of our evaluation criteria is just something that goes on in the background to really monitor progress within them growing their business and the programs are there just to enable them to kind of move their business forward. Chris, good afternoon. Welcome to Waterloo Grip. It is always fun to hang out with you and chat with you. So even better now that you're on the podcast and in the hot seat. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to see what the Waterloo Grip podcast is all about. Awesome. You perhaps know this, sir. We have a plethora of an audience, mostly entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, researchers. And I was told from the last few podcasts that we actually have faculty members from the universities in town also listening in. So having you on board this time is actually going to be a, a ton of fun, especially for faculty from the science department. So, so super exciting. Let's uh, dig right into it for the audience out there. Chris and I work together. We've done a lot of stuff together. And the one that's going to be exciting and interesting specifically for today's conversation is the AC studio that Chris manages. So Chris, I think it'll be good if you give us a sense of, um, your background, what did you do in life that led you to come join the AC? Yeah, so I'm still very early in my career, but I come to the AC after quite a long time of school. So although I'm only 28, I did about six years at Western University. So I started off with just a basic kind of science degree. I was doing physiology, pharmacology, always thought I wanted to go to med school, but just kind of realized that it was not really my dream. I was chasing somebody else's dream in the process. And uh, then once I finished up that degree, I was kind of left in a position where I didn't really know where to head next. You know, a science degree is just very specific in scope. You learn very specific things. That's kind of putting you either to some form postgraduate degree or med school. And so at that point, I took a year off just to kind of recuperate, figure out what I wanted to do. And then I went back into a master's of biomedical engineering. So I was doing a lot of research with stem cells and regenerative medicine. I was taking these tiny cells from umbilical cord blood. So I'd run down to the hospital on a weekly basis, pick up all the umbilical cord blood from Victoria Hospital in London, drive it back, store it out the regenerative cells that I was working with, like culture them over a series days. If you've never cultured cells before, they're incredibly needy. You got to constantly feed them and, and make sure that they're happy to watch them grow. Obviously, they're growing outside of the body. So I spent a lot of time working on that. And we were looking to kind of apply that within some form of regenerative medicine, within peripheral arterial disease. Doing a ton of research, I found it was very narrow in scope and it wasn't something that I could really take a step back and look at the big picture. So at that point, I started looking and kind of deciding, hey, what was the next stage and what was my next step? And just seeing what type of industry I could get into. I could join maybe some group. I'd have to go up probably to the States. That's where you really see a lot of the biotech companies or kind of start to explore the innovation scene in Canada. So I started kind of playing around with that at Western. They had a few opportunities to do a variety of different pitch competitions, a lot of entrepreneurial stuff that you had to kind of opt into. And that's kind of where I stumbled into 
one of my really good friends at the time, Rob Koch of Head Simulation. So he had a startup. He had worked to commercialize some of the technology that he was developing kind of internal to his masters. Uh, when I was working on mine, that was an option, but it wasn't something that I really had the capital to do, obviously, very, very in-depth. And we just need a lot of money to kind of get it off the ground. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to chase that. But I met him. He was somebody that actually went through AC Jumpstart. So he did AC Jumpstart back, I think he was cohort 10 at the time. Funny enough, I edited his application for that as well. And then he caught wind that the AC was hiring at the time, that they were hiring a client experience coordinator very closely. So he sent that job posting to me and kind of the rest is history. So I worked on AC Jumpstart at the beginning. He was actually, ironically, one of my clients very early on, going from close friends and now being kind of his boss in a sense. And then he works into both the AC Incubate program, our startup visa program, AC Med have also done as well. And then now into our AC Studio program. So I've kind of seen everything. I've been through a fun, fun journey at the AC. Awesome. Thank you. There were two takeaways from that for me. One, 28 for sure is the prime of one's age in terms of lifestyle. I know Chris, you and I hung out a bit when we did Web Summit in Europe a few months ago, and it was a ton of fun. I think 28 is a testament to that exactly. The other is, I think we owe Rob one for getting you into the AC. So mental note to myself to reach out to Rob. Um, no, he was in Jumpstart. We've given him a grant, so we paid him back. <laughs> there you go. Good. Touche. You started off at the AC working on what the AC calls its core, the AC Incubate, the core program, right? And you've sort of moved into a role where you manage the studio. We'll get into the studio and why it's exciting for various reasons in a bit, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, the core program, the bread and butter of the AC, why it is exciting to idea stage entrepreneurs, if at all it is, and your own learnings, you know, from your own career as you went through that. Yeah, so the AC Incubate program, obviously a program that's very close to me, I helped coordinate that for, I believe it was around eight months to a year. There's just so many graduates that have gone through it at this point and just speak so highly of the overall program and the very tailored support it kind of offers. In terms of like some of the feedback that I've heard, a lot of it's just going the extra step and going the extra mile and being able to kind of provide that one-on-one -on -one customized support for founders going through the entire process. For what I've heard, a lot of other incubators and accelerators have really great programs, but it's just like that extra level of just that one-on-one -on -one mentorship and that kind of ecosystem support from each of the mentors that are going through the program. So it's a really good opportunity for any startup to really start the, the business from the very beginning, really from that ideation stage and moving mm -hmm. forward into the scale-up process. So trying a variety of different things and just trying to push the business. Forward. And compare and contrast that to what life would have been for you had you taken the path of pursuing a profession that was in the sciences. You think you did the right thing or? Yeah, it's so... I think a startup can be, you know, when you're looking at all the courses with any university as a naive student that hasn't really approached any form of industry or startup or any professional career, essentially, startups are incredibly intimidating because there's nothing that's really taught in school, especially to, you know, the STEM focused degrees. It's really towards commercialization and leadership kind of within the startup ecosystem. 
just because of all the content that's kind of covered on just the general education side and specifically what you're studying. So it's really intimidating. Well, at least from my perspective, because you just, you don't know the first step and you also don't know what you don't know, right? Although you can be working on something that's really novel, really innovative. And I work, there's just under a hundred grad students working on their own very cool projects within at Western, kind of within the biomedical engineering department. But they just, I don't think any of them outside of Rob actually took that with on a commercialization project outside of the university, just because it's intimidating. You don't really know the next step. You don't really know the sales and marketing. You don't really have that network to be able to build up the team. You kind of have to look for that in an outside perspectives, essentially. And I think the AC does a really good job at teaching a lot of that stuff for the people that are bold enough to really take the first step and grow their business. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, it's a great point. And, it, you know, you often wonder, you know, having sat on the other side as a, as an ex-entrepreneur myself, I often wonder when you look at academia and the construct of academia across the world, can entrepreneurship be taught? Is, that, is it a thing that can be not just <clears throat> conveyed to want to be entrepreneurs, but also can it be distilled as a culture? Because to a large degree, like you said, the journey of entrepreneurship is extremely intimidating and it doesn't get any better once you step into that journey. There are times when it gets worse. There are times when it does indeed get better. And I guess my question to you is having sat on this side where you're part of a, an institution that helps entrepreneurs go through that journey, do you think there's a way by which it can be taught differently, especially for folks from the sciences realm? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question because it kind of, it looks at like the entire structure of, of our education system kind of as it stands, right? And the classic kind of evaluation, you look at, your typical courses and you're getting a range anywhere from zero to a hundred percent where a hundred percent is a hundred percent of the knowledge and that you were able to kind of absorb on that individual course. And then you take the overall average of all those courses. And that's kind of a fair representation of what you kind of know about maybe that specific study. Right. So I think entrepreneurship, you need to take a step back and be able to not, or you kind of can't look at it that way. Right. Entrepreneurship really isn't about a hundred percent of the knowledge because that's kind of stuff you learn throughout growing the company. It's just really about understanding the fundamentals and kind of understanding the methodology on how to approach problems, kind of validate your solution in a market uh, and be able to do that with the least amount of resources possible. Right? So. I think if you take a step back and you're able to kind of teach those baseline fundamentals, you're able to teach those methodologies and not saying, Hey, this is what you should do to grow your business. More of like, this is how you should approach this problem with, within each of the domains of you being you know, a thought leader or a leader within your organization. I don't think there's any reason why it couldn't be taught. It just, that individual just has to have some form of resilience, but I'd love to know what you think too, right? Having successful startups in the past, is that something, do you think it could be taught? I think the framework can be taught, right? The frameworks and the guiding principles can be taught. But I think to your point, the journey is so different for each individual that there exists no script 
that can be preached to everybody, right? There, there's a great line in the Boulder thesis that says, if you're looking at building an entrepreneurial culture or an ecosystem, you've got to think of it as a complicated system and not a complex system. So you've got to approach it through the lens of complicated engineering and not complex engineering. It's in complex engineering, you design for imperfections. You try to cover every single gap that you can foresee and you project manage it to death. In complicated engineering, you don't have a script and therefore the biggest trick is to be adaptable. You don't have guardrails and therefore the biggest, the biggest trick is to be able to assimilate changes on the fly. And the two examples of both, you know, in complex engineering, classic example is mission to Mars. You just design for perfection and hope everything goes right. Whereas in complicated engineering, the greatest example is parenting. There is no script. You just go with the flow and get it right. Hopefully. I think entrepreneurship belongs to the latter category, complicated engineering, right? And therefore, from my experience, I think a lot of the misgivings that an entrepreneur goes through can be cut short. And those, I think, come from learnings and from frameworks and from processes. But the heavy lifting really has to be done by one oneself. And hopefully, you know, programs and organizations like ours brings a lot of value in both those elements, right? In the frameworks, as well as in the learnings from other founders, as well as from the peer group. Anyway, that's what I think. It's easier said than done, right? You've seen it. You've seen it from the trenches and from the front row. It's one thing to say it, but another to live it. Yeah, like it's, I don't think there's any, you know, magic thing that a group could do that could guarantee, you know, startup success. There's so many, you know, as you mentioned, there's so many different, different variables that come into play when growing a business. And then there's, you know, the luck piece of it too. And just being there at the right time is the timing aspect. You get up everything in order. And we have a few clients that have had home run ideas. They have all the capital behind it to grow the business and just the timing's just slightly off that leads to, you know, the business not eventually taking off. And then you look back and you see a different business with a very similar business model take off you know, five to 10 years down the road, right? I don't think there's any magical formula that you can give a business and you can't really teach anything because a lot of the different strategies and what are also changing and very highly dependent towards the industry or sector that that startup's in. So there's just so many different variables. The best thing that I think the program, AC incubator program, and by proxy, all of our other programs really focuses is enabling the founder to be able to kind of approach problems in a very calculated and strategic way to get an outcome. It also encouraging that kind of failure aspects. You know, it's, you hear it all the time within the startup ecosystem is that you kind of have to fail to learn. So it's one of those things. And how do you kind of deal with that? How do you approach that within all the different domains and sales and marketing and finance, basically everything, and then start to build a culture around the team? Yeah, no, I fully agree with you, which I think is a, is a great lead up into some of the new models that exist in the world when it comes to innovation and more importantly, getting startups to a point where they hit escape velocity, right? Of all the models that exist out there, I personally love the studio model, the one that you're managing at the AC. Talk to us a little bit about, given your history with the core program slash incubate versus what you're managing now, the studio, if you can 
highlight why the studio model is interesting purely from a risk mitigation perspective? Yeah, the studio model is it's really fun compared to it's always nice when you're giving non-dilutive capital to people because they can actually act on a lot of the advice and stuff that you're su suggesting so they're not on so much of a shoestring budget it's still a tiny budget but it just gives a little bit more opportunity to act the studio uh, program is, is is quite new to us it's something that was developed based on the jumpstart program one of the big things we're hearing all the time is you know, advice is great, right? Advice is, is fantastic. You have a bunch of people that's either been there, done that, or have worked with you know, hundreds of founders that have also gone through that process. And so they kind of learn from a trial and error on what advice to give, but advice is only as good as what you can on, right? If you have the resources to be able to execute on a new sales strategy or start a new branding project branding something that needs a little bit of a refresher. So Studio took kind of the perspective where we're implementing a lot of different resources to help companies act on the variety of different advice in theory. So we've added a group such as Uvaro, so they have more of the structured hands-on workshop for building a sales team within the organization. So we've done two cohorts of that where they've taken a variety of different learnings from. We have Snappy Design who are doing an incredible market validation and user experience research process with all of our companies going through the process. If you never heard of Snappy, check them out. They have a really cool business model. We also have Conestoga College, so we're leveraging a lot of the talent and freelancer independence from the college. Not so, so much people that have graduated from it, but we also take people from the ecosystem, put them through Canada's first freelancer incubator and help them kind of grow their independent business. So there's, I think at this point, over 50 freelancers on that platform that are also doing projects with each of our individual startups within Studio, meaning they get people to actually tactically do the work for them. So they can kind of free up some resources, look at more of kind of the executive function within the business and not have to do some of like the social postings or branding elements or potentially even down some development as well. It takes the advisory model that we've done so well with the AC Incubate program as well as some other programs that we're running and ties in some of these different tactical elements as well to help them grow their company. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the model, the studio model at large for exactly what you said. And if you look at the problem being, how do you ensure that startups stay relevant, forget skill, right? Just stay relevant and don't hit mortality. The incubator model works on being heavy on the services side and very light, if nothing at all, on the capital side. The accelerator model works on a little bit of the capital and potentially focusing in on gaps because the duration is short, focusing in on gaps within the life stage of that venture to figure out which gap do I go in and fill and then the, and then the venture takes off. And then there's the VC model, which is extremely heavy on capital and focuses really only on return on the, of that capital. And, you know, as much as VCs claim that they provide services, and of course they do, the design of a venture capital fund does not allow for them fund to bring a slew of services because they're limited by the management fee. So that now you get to a point where you go, hey, what is a model that's out there where, like you said, not only do you get advice and mentorship, but you get 
folks who roll up their sleeves and get the work done with and for the founders. And at the same time, there's also a pool of capital that you can dip into. And I think the studio really is the only model that I know of that checks all those boxes, right? And I think it's for that reason that I really like the studio. And the one piece that often does not get talked about when it comes to the studio is the people focused on staff in the studio that's focused on building the ventures is as important as the quality and the metrics and the delivery focused engine that the organization has built. And I think in our case, and I don't say it because you and I work at the AC, but I do think we have the luxury of having had a tremendous amount of success on our incubate and other programs that allows us to put together a really solid pedigree team of AC folks who help the companies go through the studio. Have you seen any interesting, you know, based off of all that, have you seen any interesting trends specifically, I want to say science-based companies or deep tech companies that would not have made it had it not been a studio? We're still super early, so it's hard to tell, like you can't lead any correlation or causation just, just yet, although I'd love to. So we're still really early, but with the government really pushing towards kind of that deep tech and health, healthcare and health tech and med tech focus for this, for this cohort of the program is really something where we see a decently large collection of those companies, not by design and how we've really selected those companies, but we've really seen kind of a forefront push through the application and also start growing their companies. Right. So we have companies that are, are very deep within you know, medical devices or going through health care approval on their devices. We have those that kind of take a back, a little bit of a backwards approach, not backwards, but a step back from the direct healthcare and are more focused in optimizing processes within clinics or hospitals, a system that tends to be a little bit more outdated. So it's really a split focus with a bunch of these different priority areas that we're really seeing scale at this point and have access to a variety of the mentorship. And it's amazing kind of when you st take a step back and you think of all the different med tech and health tech companies that you think would need a very specific support for growing their business just because of the different hurdles they have to go through, tend to have a little bit of a slower sales cycle. It's amazing just how much stays true from just our AC incubate program that we would typically apply to you know, like a software company or a direct-to-consumer company, you know, with the different elements of branding, all the different structure sales process, communications, website development. There's a bunch of really fundamental stuff that you can cover with very structured in the program to get them up to a point while they're working on some of the regulatory and other hurdles in the background as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. You, know, you brought up two interesting sectors, healthcare, medtech. I'm tempted to think that, you know, sectors like those that have a very long gestation period would not have found successful outcomes had they gone through a non-studio model, right? So if you come in with an idea that's in healthcare, arguably, you know, life science is more so than, let's say, biomed or medtech. <clears throat> I'm hard-pressed to say that there is a pools of capital, mm -hmm. meaning equity funding, VC funding, et cetera, or B, there are models that allow you to rapidly grow and scale, and that model allows for enough forgiveness 
Do you get a sense, especially with your background, do you get a sense that a studio model is predicated very well for sectors like those? Yeah, I would group clean tech in there too, just the sales structure and some very similar kind of regulatory checks and balances they have to maintain. But just speaking from personal experience in, in terms of running both our jumpstart program and studio program, in which our jumpstart program tended to be shorter time, you know, a year long and supports versus our studio, which can be up to three years potentially. So we're just kind of seeing some of the early indications on kind of the length of incubation that can be optimal for any company in any industry. What we found with Jumpstart a lot was, you know, a year long is not a lot of time to be able to offer support and grow their business or even get to a point where we're making a difference in kind of inflection points with VCs or angels or whatever they're looking for. It's hard to even look at the deliverables and what they were entering the program with. Okay, what did we accomplish within this year? They tend to be in a very similar spot relative to a company that's more direct to consumer focused as a software where you can make a large difference with a very small amount of money. For example, we're dealing with a biotech company in one of our jumpstart cohorts. I won't mention my name, but they just had so much regulation that they had to go through and the variety of different clinical trials. They had to, the intellectual property aspect on the backside too, which as everybody knows costs a good chunk of money, especially in the early days. So they were only able to take it up to a certain point, but what I think Canadian ecosystem does really well is a lot of incubators share a lot of different clients and kind of offer different support, which allows them to, you know, ink, not so much incubator hop, but leverage the sources and services and different mentors, different incubators, especially as it, it comes to these very specific industry focused businesses, such as med tech, health tech, biotech, and clean tech. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with you. I think there you know, a big shout out and gratitude to the federal government for having given us the opportunity to run this program specifically for the sectors that you highlighted, right? If there was a, if there was a change that you'd like, like to make to the structure or the quantum, having been in the front row of doing this, what would that be? What would that look like? Yeah. That's a great question. Other, other than, of course, more money. <laughs> yeah, more money. So companies, we're still so early on, so we're still collecting a lot of the different feedback. I know we're quite different than typical studio model that you kind of see globally, where it's a very small amount of country companies being offered support. We decided to go all in and with a hundred different companies. So although it's amazing to kind of see the impacts on how many companies are going through the process, it would be cool to both do it again and serve the same amount of companies over, but just like over a period of cohorts, I think, and be able to kind of offer that score very in depth for those companies and then attach different industry and sector with specific resources uh, with bunch of different partners that are like industry focused. I think that would be a fantastic kind of 2.0 of studio where you're both making the same amount of impact, but it's not spread across a variety of different industries. You can have very sector focused studio programming, which would kind of align to what you see with some global trends with the programming, but it would also give an opportunity where you can really double down on, on certain resources, attach talent on the back end of it as well, where there's similar supports and growth. How about you? What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. I was making a mental note that we've got to reach out for Studio 2.0 and maybe align it strategically to the government's interest when it comes to 2023, 2024 and you know, what lies in Canada's future. But I 100% agree with you. I think getting it a little more, you know, there, there's a case that can be made that with 100 companies distilled down to 50 and to 25, you create year amount of economic development. Another case can be made that you start with five and make sure all those five turn into the next big thing, right? Into the next Maya Visions and, and Clear Path Robotics and the Apply Boards of Canada. And there's beauty to maybe Studio 2.0. We focus on the model that you just professed. We're talking about, you know, distilling companies down. Walk us through what your daily life is going to look like as you take these 100 companies and bring it down to 50, you know, the whole phase one to phase two transition and potentially how that's going to keep you awake at night. Yeah, already begun, but it's a big, it's a big transition, right? So historically we've always done our programs where it's a very set size cohort. And then at kind of the end of that, we either transition them to a different program that can offer that additional value or. It's something where they move on to maybe a different, different system and maybe access us a little bit later. So when it comes down to taking a hundred companies and moving them to 50, it's obviously a challenge just because we've worked, we've worked with these companies for coming up on five months now, or sorry, four months, I guess. And it's one of those things where it's going to be hard to really concentrate them down based on a variety of different variables. So one of the big things is really identifying companies that have made that rapid progress with the small non-dilutive capital that they've received at this point, as well as kind of the funds and other capital they're using to grow their business, because it just shows they're very efficient and effective at moving forward with whatever they have. And it's no uh, new news that we're kind of moving into an economic downturn, if not already reached that point. So it's kind of one of those times where we really have to be doubling down on the companies that are going to be able to both weather the storm, but also kind of seek, you know, seek progress and be able to kind of deal with it and turn that into something beneficial. So we're really going to be focusing com on companies that are very strategically positioned to move forward. They're globally competitive, are also going to make a difference kind of within the Canadian ecosystem. There's a bunch of different companies in Kitchener-Waterloo. We're also working with a lot in Toronto and kind of other cities across Southern Ontario. So it's about picking companies that are going to make a difference within Canada that have shown a lot of progress that are engaging with the program. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's going to be, going to be a big task, Yeah, but we're just coming up right now. Yeah. I can imagine how, you know, more than it just being a big and difficult task, the nature of thanklessness is also pretty, is not lost, right? As you go from a hundred to 50, you touched upon two things. As you made that comment, which I found very refreshing. You know, a lot of times entrepreneurs talk about, especially when they pitch for investments, they talk about future potential and the capability of what it, whatever it is that they're building. The two things you touched upon were our ability in the last four to five months to have shown what you can do with what little you have, you know, being a metric or a set of metrics that leads to that. And the second is this term that people very loosely use a lot. Uh, sometimes I feel contextually, it's not the right thing to say, but, and that term is coachability, right? How much do founders 
demonstrate coachability and you said it much more eloquently. I think using those two sets of metrics, what you've achieved with what little you have and the element of coachability, given all the guidance that you've been provided with, have you demonstrated potential to inflect, I think goes a much longer way than future potential. So any sets of variables and metrics that allows for measurement of company success that takes it in this case from 100 to 50, I think makes a ton of sense. I remember, you know, being stuck in an elevator once with, uh, I used to work at Cisco and that then Cisco CEO, John Chambers. And it's one of those things where you're stuck with the CEO of a company for, I don't know, give me 30 seconds. And what is the one question you can ask to impress this person? And the reason I mentioned that is oftentimes I think founders think that Hey, once I raise Series A, I have, I'm going to have enough pool, enough of a pool of capital that a ton of the headaches that I have today will go away. And then I can focus on building the business and scaling it and getting to 20, 30 million in revenue and then do Series B and so on and so forth. And this conversation I had with John Chambers, the CEO, allowed me to understand that your problems as a founder, A, never go away and B, it only gets amplified is a comment that he made when I posed the question to him, which was, you know, what, how do you manage emails is the question that I asked him uh, on the assumption that this guy gets hundreds of emails, which he does. And his answer was pretty simple. He said, right now we are doing, this is 2000, oh, I want to say 12. Right now we're doing 36 billion in revenue, which means my job is to simply focus on the one or two emails that keeps us at 100 million a day, because that's the math that adds up to 36 million, right? And I realized at that point that if you're a founder or a CEO, when you start small with a hundred new problems, hundred problems, when you grow those hundred problems, just increase in size and magnitude, it never goes away. So I think going back to your point of getting the hundred down to 50, I think founder's ability to have demonstrated what you can pull off with what little you have is a much better yardstick of success than, you know, future potential. So, yeah, so, yeah, you know, good luck. It's going to be a very exciting next few weeks for you as you distill that down. Yeah, it's tough, right? And I'm coming from the perspective of where everything I'm saying, I've never been a founder myself. And it kind of goes back to a question you mentioned earlier. It's like, can you teach entrepreneurship? And like, I'm kind of using this on this opportunity to teach myself entrepreneurship and kind of learn from you know, the hundreds of startups that are going through a program at any given time to try and collect as much information as I can. And we're always trying to improve things. And this thing is going to be a huge question because you know, selecting a hundred companies and cutting that in half down to 50, it's sad. We don't have more resources to be able to offer it for a longer period of time, but we don't really want to make founders jump through hoops. We don't want to be another thing where they have to kind of move their business in a direction that we say is the best. And we hope that kind of our evaluation criteria is just something that goes on in the background to really monitor progress within them growing their business and the programs there just to enable them to kind of move their business forward. So although I haven't kind of been in that seat, I like to think I'm a, at least a little bit empathetic to kind of founders going through the process and we're trying to design things and build things more easily 
accessible and is more valuable to the founder. And founders, they have to do everything just so innovative and new, right? It's sometimes the best business model won't be the one that would shine somebody that, that's doing something new or maybe that, that market that's more bad or just something new, right? So it's about kind of picking those businesses that are really doing something innovative, put pouring resources into them, also the ones that are just as a cool business model, right? That nobody's ever thought of before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is there a, is there one piece of advice or two or three that you would give to the 100 who are going through the process and say, this is what you do? I like, I don't know if there's a single piece of advice. I just, it's just similar to what I was saying, right? It's, you know, keep doing what you're doing as a founder, keep trying to push your business forward, which they've all kind of shown the tenacity to do that. I'd flip it to you as somebody that's a founder. I'm not really somebody to give advice to founders having not founder myself, but what advice would you give to somebody that's building a startup within the current conditions? Given where I am now, the answer is very easy. Hey, don't worry if you don't make it to the 50, there's always AC Incubate. <laughs> yeah, and, and for those listening in, check out our website, go to AC Incubate. No, but I, as a, as an ex-founder, I think the advice I would give is, I, you know, a program or capital or advice is just a means to the end. So if you lose one of the means to the end, your end, your goalpost has not changed. So you got to just figure out another way to get there. I think it goes back to what you said earlier, right? You got to be, as a founder, you've just got to be resilient now that you've signed up to be a founder. There are really no two ways about it. Switching topics a bit, having been exposed to a few other ecosystems, a few other programs, few, you know, you've seen a few other geographies that we are sort of at play with. Arguably, a lot of times our founders end up south of the border. Are there things that you've observed that is different or unique? to us in Waterloo or to Canada and what we should do as a country to, to be better to our founders? Yeah, it's a tough question uh, because like one of the big things about when companies are growing is just really about approaching the market that kind of makes sense for the business, right? And if that means it's overseas, it's kind of hard to say no to something like that, right? So I think one of the biggest things is Canada is a very attractive place to, to headquarter your business. Also fantastic place for talent and just the amazing academic system that are pumping out like amazing candidates for each of these different startups or co-op system, just the amount of grant and non-dilutive support that businesses can access as a part of being a Canadian or per, Canadian citizen or permanent resident is extraordinary and it's especially amazing just to see the differences over the past few years again i'm fairly young so obviously i can't go too far but in reviewing applications and jumpstart versus now it's amazing the long list of non-dilutive grants and capital that a lot of these startups have access like i see new non-dilutive funds almost on a weekly basis things that people are accessing as part of canada and I hear that's very unique to the Canadian ecosystem. When it comes to, you know, your market and actually growing the business, obviously Canada is a fairly small market relative to a lot of different, you know, like the U.S. You can't ignore the U.S. If you're a company that's looking to build a sustainable business. And we tend to be a little bit more risk averse when it comes to the whole sales process where people are a little bit more innovative and experimental and kind of some other markets. So this is all kind of stuff I hear, but... Canada kind of represents 
an amazing testing ground for a lot of these different startups where they can get some phenomenal feedback and start really early on with all the different funding until they need to go private. And just because of the virtual age, I think it's a really good opportunity to just to headquarter yourself here. Partners like Communitech, they offer some great services as well as access different countries. We also start to look and then accessing different countries, but headquartering in Canada of the grow here. So it's a fine balance. I think we really need to focus in on you know, both keeping the companies here within Waterloo, within Toronto, within Ontario, but also allowing them to kind of commercialize and explore other markets. That's what we saw like Web Summit. You and I were there, Jay. It's every other ecosystem is looking on how to get their companies into other countries very <laughs> intensely. So I think we need to kind of take that approach and just recognize Canada for an amazing place to start your business. Yeah, I fully agree, Chris. I think the, if you draw a bunch of circles, right, and look at some of the things that you mentioned, you know, culturally, is it a great place to build a business? From a governance standpoint, is it a great place to build a business? In terms of cost of capital, does it go a long way? Is your IP protectable and forceable? Do you have access to talent? I think if you draw these circles, you'll find Canada, and the big one, like you correctly said, is access to non-dilutive funding. I personally do think, you know, while Canada ranks in the top 10 when it comes to R&D as a function of GDP, we don't do so well. But on the other hand, spend on non-dilutive capital that goes towards furthering innovation, we're in the top two. So if you draw all these circles, I think we stand a phenomenal chance to start building the next big ventures out of Canada, and then yeah, it really is up to them as to how they grow wings and go to different parts of the world. And I don't think it's it's in our interest to make sure that they they further the business and go out while they keep the economic incentive and the creation of jobs in Canada. Right. And the other thing to your point about Web Summit, I noticed is given geopolitics around the world, I think we are the only country that is proactively working on drawing the best founders into the country, right? Everywhere else, there's the, there's the, the rise of borders and national sentiments that don't necessarily allow for people to come in. It's not easy anyway. And I think for those reasons, it's a fantastic ecosystem to build your next venture and to put the AC plug in here. I think we, we are an organization that would be happy to help any, any founder slash venture that's looking to enter Canada and North America. On a parting note, Chris, there's many other things, but uh, on a parting note, one question to you. As an organization, you know, we've pivoted post the pandemic in terms of how we operate. And to a large degree, we continue to operate virtually. Tell us about how that's been impactful as far as deliverables of outcome, meaning to the founder, how that's impacted life and a work life. So yeah, the reason I, mean, I ask that is if there's something that, you know, I have my opinion, but I do think that there's something that we can learn from the external ecosystem and potentially what they can learn from what we've done. Yeah. It's something we're constantly learning more about. We moved virtual back in March of 2020. I remember it very clearly because it was pretty much instantaneously as I joined the AC. And it's one of those things that we've collected a lot of feedback and kind of what's valuable in the program and what's valuable for founders. While virtual kind of mentorship and resources can be just infinitely effective in terms of access information, I do think we, there is still room to improve more of like the organic collision and 
work effect of participating in a program like this, because we're dealing with founders all the way across Southern Ontario, you know, Windsor to Ottawa, the logistics of it tends to be a little bit more of a challenge, especially being a group that's solely based in Kitchener Waterloo. But I do think that there still needs to be some in person component, both on an organizational as well as a programming perspective to be able to kind of facilitate those connections with people that are right in it now, right? You have people that are learning brand new things or accessing different services that didn't exist six months ago. How AI is going to change everything. I don't know if you've been pulling chat GPT, but that's going to change a lot of different process. If people can use that for just brainstorming copy or writing simple briefs or emails. It's amazing how quickly people are going to kind of snatch hold of these different tools and services, but to have people to be able to talk to that too and network with, I don't think, I think that's irreplaceable with any program. So we're looking to kind of implement some more in-person and peer-to-peer learnings, just because I would say that's the one thing that we currently kind of struggle with. And I believe that from an organizational view as well. I still think you need people in the same room to have that, to push innovation and creativity and collaboration that you just don't see virtual environment. Yeah. I violently agree with you on everything that you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. I'm going to put you on the spot on the last question, Chris, and that is if there is appetite from your end personally, as well as speaking on behalf of the organization, if we were to do an AC studio for staff. It, like what I would think about yeah, it? Yeah. Would that be an opportunity for yeah, to spin yeah. a company out? I, so I'm full on board for becoming a founder. I would love to spin a company out. I just need, I would love more of the technical and kind of product side of it. It's like, I, I would love to be involved with one. I think there's infinite creativity and infinite resilience. And like, it just seems like a really fun time. All the clients we work with, all entrepreneurs, they're an incredibly fun group of people. They're so resilient. They just love connections. They're just really fun to work with. It's just, I need somebody to be the technical. <laughs> we need some really cool ideas. And the rest of the staff, I'm not even talking about all, everybody with our programs team, marketing team, like everybody brings, well, and all the other people I haven't mentioned, everybody brings a very unique perspective into running the AC and I think they could really shine with an environment they wanted to opt in because they just do such a phenomenal job on AC staff. But question back to you, I know we're just at the end of time, is how would you deal with it in an organization where everybody's focusing on startups? Yeah, no, I would love it. I would love it because it then does set out, it does set us out to do what we do best, right? As opposed to building a hundred new companies, what if we can spin out 10 fantastic companies? Yeah, yeah. I'd definitely be game for that. Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. I agree. Vision 2023. Chris, it's been fantastic talking to you as always. Thank you so much for allocating time on the podcast. Good luck on the studio as you migrate to phase two and catch up with you soon. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Really had a good time today. Waterloo Grit, an Accelerator Center podcast, is sponsored by the David Johnston Research and Technology Park and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by Bluemax. For more Waterloo Grit content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.